Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. This is Tim Staples of Catholic Answers. I'm excited to let you know that I also teach high school apologetics for homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. There are also recorded independent learning courses at homeschoolconnections.com. Whether you take apologetics with me, literature with Joseph Pierce, or philosophy with Bill Donahue, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, it's a great way to get Catholic learning for your family. Hello and welcome to our two-part series about St. Joseph. Today, our special guest and our guest lecturer is Father Donald Calloway, a convert to Catholicism, a member of the Congregation of Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Before his conversion to Catholicism, he was a high school dropout who'd been kicked out of a foreign country, institutionalized twice, and thrown into jail multiple times. But after his radical conversion, he earned a Bachelor's of Arts in Philosophy and Theology from the Franciscan University of Steubenville, a Master's of Divinity, and a a Sacred Theological Bachelor's degree from the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., and a Licentiate in Sacred Theology and Mariology from the International Marian Research Institute in Dayton, Ohio. He's the author of 14 books, and his latest book is Consecration to St. Joseph, the wonders of our spiritual father. We hope you enjoy this discussion, the first part of two. In this first part, we're going to talk about the theological sources on how we can learn about St. Joseph. Father Don Calloway, it's a pleasure to have you here uh, for our academy class on St. Joseph. What I want to do is begin with a little prayer and, um, and I'm going to ask for St. Joseph's for a prayer. And I've got my little statue here of St. Joseph resting, sleeping. And I hope that no one is going to rest or sleep when they, when they hear this. And I'm sure they won't because this is a fantastic discussion. But we ask for the obedience of faith that St. Joseph had, for his ability to discern, and most importantly, for his desire to protect and love his holy family as he did in the scriptures. And so we're asking all of this blessing with the prayers of our Blessed Mother, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Your book, Consecration to St. Joseph, The Wonders of Our Spiritual Father, it's probably one of the biggest writings about St. Joseph. Is that true? It might be, yeah. There there were some others. There was a Jesuit in the mid-20th century that wrote a lot on him, but... um, I know it's a lot of people like, Father, how'd you write a book so thick about a man who we don't have one word from? (laughs) That's pretty much it. I mean, to be honest with you, when I studied Mariology, we actually had a course on Josephology, but that wasn't even a real course. It was more kind of looking at tradition. So what I want to do in this kind of lesson, Father Don Calloway, is just find out what were your sources when writing this book? Yeah, so... um, you know, I, I didn't want to just have like my opinion or anything like that. I wanted to go, of course, first you got to go to scripture, right? That's the primary source. 
So you want to look at that. And, you know, as I said, we don't have one word from St. Joseph. Therefore, you look at his actions. So you, you can look at um, what he did in response to what God was asking him to do, what the angel told him to do. Um, and you can unpack it from there. And then you can go into the fathers of the church who they didn't really write about St. Joseph per se, but in their homilies on the nativity, on uh, the visitation, uh, on Jesus being lost, you know, lost in the temple for three days, they include Joseph in those. So you can get a little tidbits here and there. And then as you go through church history, you get a lot of uh, the saints and mystics like St. Teresa of Avila, who start to, you know, really have a devotional life with St. Joseph, and they start to ask him for great intercessions. And, and that really um, takes it to a, a, a personal level, instead of just studying him as, you know, um, a, one of the major players in the New Testament, it comes into having a relationship with him. And then we finally, and this is only recently, we get into this a little bit later, we, we get to get writings from the popes uh, in prominent ways about St. Joseph. So, you know, we have, as Catholics, sacred scripture, we have sacred tradition, and we have the magisterium. So we can actually use all three to get a pretty good picture of who St. Joseph was. Now, that's a perfect example because we've always been taught, you and I were taught in theology, that those are kind of the pillars of the church. It's the three legs of the stool that uphold our faith. But you're going to get a lot of Protestants who actually like St. Joseph because his devotion, our devotion to him is a little minimized as it is, say, to the Blessed Mother. I mean, some people think that we have mary olatry the idolatry of Mary, and they always feel bad for St. Joseph for whatever reason. And right. so what you're doing is you're looking at what our sources of our faith are, scripture, tradition, and magisterium. So let's get into it, because you said it, he says nothing in sacred scripture, but right. his actions speak louder than words. So right. what were some of the salient points that you got from that? Yeah, well, you know, probably one of the most is that even though we don't have a word recorded, we do know that it was the role of the father to name the child. At that time, in a Jewish you know, marriage, um, if there was a child, and we know obviously that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, but nonetheless, he fulfilled that role as father given to him by God to, to, to be in that position. So therefore, as the angel said, you are to name him Jesus. So think about that. So even though we don't have any words, he did one of the greatest things ever. He gave to our Lord his name, and that's the holy name. We are not saved by any other name than the name of Jesus. So St. Joseph is the one who, who gave our Lord that name, and that's, that's tremendous. That alone is profound. Right? It is incredibly profound, but you know, I even have people who will ask me this question, but what exactly is Jesus's name? You know, is it Jesus Christ? Is that his, is Christ the last name? And what about the angel saying, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. A lot of people are confused about the naming, which Joseph had responsibility to do in the same way Zechariah had to name his son John, even though he should have been named Zechariah. Right. Yeah. No, it's a profound thought. And I mean, it's just, it's the, it's the same thing. It's just saying it in, in a different way that God is with us. That's what they both, you know, mean. Um, and so that he, means particularly he who saves, is that? the? That's trend? right. That's right. He who is with us, he, he who saves. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and, and who knows? I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe when uh, Jesus was a little baby, Mary did call him her little Emmanuelito. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, a little endearing 
adding a little endearment to it. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's God's honest truth. And a lot of people don't understand that part of the Jewish experience. Remember, Joe was a Jew. Mary was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. They had very unique experiences, including yeah. these nicknames that yeah. they would give to each other, which kind of became the name, like the carpenter's son. Oh, what? the fisherman. So the these fisherman. names are Christological titles, but they all mean the presence of God in a profound way. Yep. I, I love the fact that you're kind of analyzing his actions in mm. light of the Jewish experience. Yeah. What other actions besides naming did Joseph do? Some incredible things. This, I want to tell you some profound stuff here that when I discovered this through writings and, and prayer, it blew me away. So, for example, you know, when God wants to share the facial characteristics of someone, he chose the Blessed Virgin Mary in the sense of Jesus biologically is linked with Our Lady. So he probably shared her cheekbones, maybe, you know, a nose looks similar. Just like I look like my mom, you probably look like your mom, right? Well, Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. However, right, Jesus himself says in the New Testament that a son can only see and do what he sees his father seeing and doing. Well, that applies primarily to the Heavenly Father, of course. But think about this. What God wanted to look like someone, he chose to share the features in her countenance of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Profound. But when God wanted to act like someone, who did he choose to act like? St. Joseph. Just like every son imitates his father. So Jesus, our God, our Savior, probably had the mannerisms, the accent, patterns of behavior, just like Joseph, because he learned those things from his dad, St. Joseph. I mean, that is so profound. God wants to act like Joseph. The fact, that pictures, the fact that pictures of the Holy Family show Joseph in the woodworking shop, we know he was a technon, which yeah. meant he worked with the materials at hand. Some will question if it was wood or if he was a mason, you know, dealing with rock. So he couldn't have been a wimp. And then Mary would be quietly sitting and sewing, and Jesus is playing with wood and making a cross. You know, when I was a kid and I looked at that image, I thought to myself, well, he was not only a mama's boy, he was also a good papa's boy, too. Yes, yes, so yes. You're naming these things that a lot of people aren't taking into account, the right. sits in Laban, so to speak, or the, yeah. the matter of fact at hand of Jesus's time. Yeah. So he yeah. acted like Joseph. Yeah, that's right. And check this out. So there's a scholar um, that did a study that, you know, at that time, all of the Jewish men who were of age were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year. That's in the book of Leviticus. It was a requirement for various rituals and such. Now, let's just say that St. Joseph, with our Lord, walked to Nazareth, I don't know, maybe 25 years, because let's leave out, maybe they were in Egypt for five years or so, who knows, but let's just say 25, right? Three times a year for 25 years. Somebody did the math. Do you know that Joseph and Jesus walked about three-fourths of the way around the planet? That's incredible. What does that say to us? It says that St. Joseph probably, in all likelihood, was not an old man, which is oftentimes how we see him depicted in art and statues and such. But the reality is, old men can't do that, right? That's a lot of walking. It is a lot of walking. And let me ask you, though, because in the Jewish tradition even now, uh, it's generally case for a lot of Mediterraneans that the older men would marry a younger woman. Mm. And we don't really know how Jesus died. He's known as the patron saint of a happy death because yeah. he dies in the presence of Mary and Jesus. 
about what do you think from your research he was like? Right. How old was he? I mean, what was, tell us a little bit about your picture from your research. Yeah, so, you know, the only reasons that, that he was, has been depicted as old, and, you know, the Catholic Church has never given an age to Joseph. There's no teaching on that whatsoever. The only reason that he was been depicted as old in iconography and art and such is because they wanted to protect the marriage by showing that there was never any, any marital intercourse in the marriage. And that's true. There, there never was. But that is, is it the case that only old men can be virtuous and chaste? Of course not right? It's actually more virtuous for a young man to do it when his passions are alive, right? Well, think about this. With, with, if you were God and you were going to entrust this immaculate creature that you made to be the mother of your son, the God-bearer, the Theotokos, are you going to give her a man who's, who's going to be basically almost senile? But literally, if you look at a lot of the depictions of him, he's always in the back, in the shadows. He looks like he's about to croak. And he doesn't look like it's a staff, but it's a cane holding him up because he can barely stand. Really? If you were God the Father, would you entrust this immaculate creature you made into this, the hands of, of, of just a watchman like that? No, you wouldn't. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting thing because the other reason why he, at least from my experience, has been depicted as old is because of the concupiscence factor. So we wouldn't engage in it, but also to kind of give credence that when they talk about Jesus's brothers and sisters, that they could have been Joseph's children from a previous marriage what have you found from the magisterial or the traditional teaching because nothing is found in no. the scriptures canon that we have there's that's stuff right deuterocanonical yeah. but that's right yeah so all of those stories about him being old and about him being um a widow with children from a previous marriage those come from apocryphal literature now the fathers of the church sometimes would pick up on that especially in the east but that doesn't mean it became the codified teaching of the church. They, they brought these teachings forth because they wanted to give an explanation for those brothers and sisters in the New Testament. Um, but great scholars like St. Jerome, the greatest biblical scholar that there has ever been, the greatest theologian who's ever been, St. Thomas Aquinas, and a ton of others, even popes, uh, recent popes, have talked about St. Joseph was a virgin. He was not previously married. Uh, this is, I, I've got all the quotes in the book that you can, you can read up on from St. Jerome, St. Thomas Aquinas, from Popes, um, at talking about it being a virginal marriage, that Joseph too had made a vow of virginity to God, and God brought them, you know, together. And by the way, the whole brothers and sisters thing, the only reason that that's in the New Testament, because it carried over from the Old Testament, because in the Greek, there's no word for cousins. So they simply use brothers and sisters, and there's many instances of that uh, in the Old and New Testament. And so it wasn't the biological brothers and sisters of Jesus. And it wasn't even, you know, like step brothers and sisters that came from Joseph from a previous marriage. No. So it's very interesting that traditions can get kind of mixed together. And from that, we discern the truth. How yeah. does one do that when there is, again, very little said about scripture, but his actions speak louder than words. And that the fathers of the church were relying not on the canons because the canons of the Bible didn't even come about until much later. They were relying on so many apocryphal, deuterocanonical, extracanonical texts. Kind of like, if people don't know what that is, how would you describe apocryphal and deuterocanonical for your, the listeners right now? Yeah, a lot of them, they're trying to maybe sometimes fill in the gaps. Like a lot of them tend to focus on the, the hidden years of the life of Jesus when he was a young boy, because we don't have a lot on that. Mm -hmm. So they tried to fill it in. And sometimes they can be 
good and they're generally well-intentioned, but a lot of times it gets a little, you know, fairy tale-ish, legendary, and, you know, Jesus is resurrecting a bird just for the whimsy of it, and it's like, hmm, you know, so that's why we need the church to help us discern what is inspired by the Holy Spirit and what is just man trying to fill in the gaps and be creative, <laughs> creative license, if you will. Well, and that's a very good point, because I think that's why the magisterium is seen as one of those pillars, because before the Bible was even written, Jesus created a magisterium. He created his disciples to be a teaching authority. So just tell me a little bit about what were some of the traditions that the magisterium has picked up on in order to teach us who St. Joseph is. Yeah, some pretty incredible things. And, um, you know, a lot of these, they go way back and they're getting them from the, the, the writings, you know, uh, the fathers of the church unpacking a lot in the New Testament, which you, you can't just go around Joseph. You have to acknowledge that he was there at many of these events. And so, again, you look at his actions and you start to say, look at how faithful he is. You know, look at how obedient he is, how prompt he is, uh, how pure he must have been. I mean, can you imagine to, to be a man who lived with the most beautiful, pure woman ever to walk this planet uh, and to have that, that right intention and that motivation to want to sacrifice yourself and to, and to, to give of yourself. These are the things that the, the magisterium looks at and says, this is why we need to pay attention to him. This is why we need to actually imitate him. And that's where it goes from the, 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 you can't imitate what you don't know, right? So once you know about him or anybody else, then you can apply the application and in your own life. And that's where we're at, I think, now in the church, where the church is doing a major emphasis on St. Joseph today, drawing us to want to actually be like St. Joseph. Interesting. And we're going to actually get into the practical understanding of Joseph for us. I mean, he's not there for nothing. He's there for a very important reason, to help us to get to heaven. But before we get to that in the second half of this course, what I want to do, Father, is just simply ask you what we know of Joseph now and the feast days surrounding him and some, some of the Joseph titles that he's been given. Can you kind of share some of these titles that have emerged from Scripture, from tradition, and from magisterium teachings? Yes, I love some of his titles, and they're really unique titles. And uh, so if you look at his litany, for example, which in the book, the litany of St. Joseph is the template for the book. So we pray it every day when you do the book. Um, we only say of Joseph what we say of Our Lady. We give them the superlative of every virtue. So we say, like we say, Mary most pure, Mary most holy. We don't say that about any other saint except St. Joseph. For example, we don't say St. Francis most holy. We don't do that. We don't say it about Therese. Don't tell the Franciscans that, though. Right. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, it's the truth, right? So, but with Joseph, we do. We say Joseph most just. Joseph most prudent. Joseph most faithful. Joseph most courageous. That's extraordinary stuff. Now, some of his other titles, which to me are are incredible and so needed today, we call him the Pillar of Families. Oh, what a title! A pillar is a foundation. If you don't have that foundation, it collapses. Well, today we've got the collapse of many families. Marriages are falling apart all over the place. We need the pillar again. We need that crucial piece of the father and the husband and the family, which is so absent in modern times. We need to recover that. He's called the glory of domestic life. The glory of domestic life. What a title. He's called the guardian of virgins. See, this is again why it speaks to me of a younger presentation of St. Joseph, because old men don't guard anything. 
right? You, if to be a guardian, uh, you have to be, it's understood to be physically strong. You know, you have to be able to guard and, and not be taking an afternoon nap and getting memory loss, right? No, a guardian is strong. So and then you have my on, father, because actually it's always impossible to do theology without pastoral or practical theology, yeah, yeah. which we want to save. I want to stay on the theology <laughs> as best as we possibly can, knowing that, yeah. again, yeah. Joseph isn't there for nothing. He's That's right. Theory. He's someone to help us now. But yeah. I do want to kind of hear about these magisterial pronouncements because we do have some feast days of St. Joseph. And I kind of want to get to know where do they come from? What are these traditions and what are they? Why? Why do we have yeah. Joseph the worker, you know, foster, oh. father, I mean, a husband of Mary? Oh, yes. I've got a, all, all that stuff in the book, so you'll go in much deeper in the book. But, uh, you know, March 19th, this great solemnity, which we celebrate in March, there's a long history to that. You know, it goes centuries back. And a lot of it did come from devotion, just like oftentimes people will start, start a devotion to the Sacred Heart, for example, and then we get the liturgical feast or the Immaculate Heart. Well, it's the same thing with St. Joseph. It came from that devotion, but then it found its crescendoing, you know, peak in the liturgy, solemnity of St. Joseph, right? It's, it's his greatest feast day. But then we get May 1st, which is St. Joseph the Worker. That one is interesting because May 1st, uh, you know, before it was established as a feast, I think it was in 1950 something, um, was a secular kind of uh, festivity where you celebrated work. But then communism wanted to take it over and turn it into Communist Workers Day. Well, the church was very worried about that, especially Pius XI and Pius XII. Mm. So Pius XII stepped in and said, you know what? I think I know how to resolve this whole issue. We'll declare May 1st, St. Joseph the Worker Day. And boy, that changed everything. It just transformed the whole, the whole thing. And it began celebrated around the world in every Catholic church, you know, so it's fantastic. But check this out. Not only we have the Holy Family, right, which celebrates, you know, the entire Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. We have all saints. We can include St. Joseph, of course, but January 23rd, check this out. Not a lot of people know about this. It's the liturgical feast of the Holy Spouses. Mm -hmm. It's fully approved. Uh, all a bishop has to do is request it in his diocese and they can celebrate it. There's many dioceses who do around the world. There's many shrines. The St. Joseph Oratory in Montreal celebrates it every year. The Oblates of St. Joseph, a religious community who have a shrine to St. Joseph in Santa Cruz, California, they celebrate it every year. It's a phenomenal feast, and almost nobody knows about it. So um, that's, to me, is spectacular. It really is. And if we bring this particular lesson to a close, you can always feel the tendency to make Joseph no longer a theory or a thing of study, but to see him as a person, which we kind of forget because we lock him up into a statue or even a devotion maybe even misinformed devotion. If there's one thing on a theological level, and I, I'm going to ask you to stay there because we will talk pastoral and practical, <laughs> but on a theological level, some of these things are truly mind-blowing. They what are. Some of the unique theological discoveries that you've had when authoring this book. Well, obviously, you know, we don't want to deify him. He's not God, right? And we don't even want to make him another immaculate conception. He was not an immaculate conception. However, we can say certain things, and these have been affirmed by the church in what we call pious traditions, that he was sanctified in the womb, right? So what that means, like there are many Old Testament prophets that we talk about had that happen. John the Baptist, we talk about that happen. Well, there have actually been many saints, doctors of the church, 
and even popes who have talked about this pious tradition that he was sanctified in the womb, which meaning, you know, right after uh, he came into existence, God filled him with all the graces necessary for his mission. I mean, that's a, that's a great gift. Also, we can talk about how he um, possibly, possibly, um, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that at the resurrection of Jesus, the souls of many who were dead came back to life and appeared to many in Jerusalem. Fascinating passage. Who might some of those people have been? We don't know. But you know who saints and popes say it probably? One of them was St. Joseph. Why would he remain in the tomb when others are coming back to life, you know? And the possibility, the possibility, it's not the teaching of the church, that he was assumed into heaven. That's interesting. Check this out. There's no first-class relics of St. Joseph anywhere. Never been. Where is he? Some have said maybe he's incorrupt in a tomb somewhere. Who knows? But even a recent pope, St. Pope John Twenty-Third, said, it is worthy of pious belief that St. Joseph was also assumed into heaven at the ascension of our Lord. Wow. The ascension of our Lord. Fascinating stuff, right? Wow. Yeah, it is fascinating. And that's why I'm glad that you talked about it in a theological realm, because oftentimes our understanding of Joseph is, is more spiritual, but there is truly study that needs to happen. What I'd like to do is just simply say, first of all, thank you, Father, for joining us for this theological discussion about St. Joseph. And then I'm going to um, come back with some questions and some kind of closing remarks. But for right now, I just want to say thank you for joining us. And, and I'd like to ask if you can maybe uh, lead us in a closing prayer. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we ask you through the intercession of St. Joseph to bless all the listeners, the viewers, their particular intentions for their loved ones, especially for any who are away from the faith, that they would come back to the practice of the sacraments and fall in love with Jesus Christ. We ask this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We'll be right back. I hope you enjoyed that presentation about St. Joseph. And I wanted to kind of summarize some things and offer you some questions to engage your kind of intellectual and spiritual capabilities. One of the first things we've got to realize is that the sources about St. Joseph is from the scriptures. And what he doesn't say is just as important as what he does say. Obviously, the tradition, not just the tradition of the Catholic Church, but the tradition of the Jewish people and how they saw fatherhood as not an important but a necessary part of a child's upbringing. And then of course the magisterial teachings, we can learn a lot from our liturgical prayers. If you've heard any of my previous presentations, you will hear how Lex, Lex Orandi, which is the law of prayer, establishes Lex Credendi, the law of belief. And then if we believe something, it will affect Lex Vivendi, how we live our life. What are the laws that govern our life? Which is what we're going to be discussing in part two of our St. Joseph presentation, a continuing conversation with Father Donald Calloway. But I want to leave you with just three simple questions that might help you to, again, engage what we just heard, and more importantly, have what we learned engage our life. So the first question that I want to ask is, what is your image of St. Joseph? What comes to your mind? when you hear about this man. The second is, how was St. Joseph an essential part of God's plan? Could it have been someone else? What are the qualities that made St. Joseph an essential player 
in the life of Christ in the Holy Scriptures. And the third question is, what do you think St. Joseph taught his son, Jesus Christ? Just some very interesting questions to make St. Joseph much more practical for you. And if you want to get this book, The Consecration to St. Joseph, The Wonders of Our Spiritual Father, simply go to the website consecration to saintjoseph.org consecration to stjoseph.org and thank you for watching and we hope you enjoy the second part of our presentation about this holy man saint joseph this episode is brought to you by hallo the number one catholic app Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com breadbox.